Now you can find, listen and subscribe to Chilling with Jens and the local Danfoss Climate Solution podcast in your RevTools app. Download it from danfoss.com. Service and support. Downloads. Hi, I'm Jens Andersen from Danfoss Climate Solutions. After the Triple J's, that is John, Jörg and Jens, head-to-head live stream about scrolls versus piston compressors, we got a question about compressor power consumption and rating systems. So we took the opportunity to invite Thierry Legay, who is one of the Danfoss experts on compressors, to talk about the compressors, their power consumption, which is essentially an expression of the work performed by the compressor and the variety of conditions that compressors work under. Thierry, could you please uh, introduce yourself? Uh, what are you doing? Who are you? Where do you come from? Etc. Etc. Uh, well, um, I'm um, Thierry Leguet. I'm uh, sitting in France in the commercial uh, compressor factory of uh, Danfoss. Um, I'm working in uh, Danfoss since '99. Uh, I started in the laboratory as a lab technician and uh, then lab engineer um, doing various uh, things in the lab going from uh, uh, doing some uh, tests of course but also designing some uh, unit for compressor testing uh, then after 10 years i moved to uh, the application support and technician um, technical support for for europe uh, and uh, now for a couple of years, I'm what we call the application expert. Uh, and my main area of uh, expertise is uh, HVAC and compressors. Okay. Thank you, Thierry. Uh, with us, we also have John. Uh, and uh, the listeners may know John, but uh, John, could you please give us a very quick introduction to yourself also? Hi, Jens. Um, yep, certainly. Um, I think, as I've said before, I actually work in the same group as uh, Thierry. I work in the global application department with a focus on convention units, uh, uh, stroke commercial refrigeration. Been in Danfoss for way too many years now and started life in refrigeration when I was age 16. Okay, thank you so much. Um, the topic of today is about uh, compressor power consumption and efficiency and etc etc so Thierry what is affecting the compressor power consumption can you please give us a, a look into the secrets <laughs> yeah um, first of all uh, the power consumption of a compressor is related to the size of the compressor itself it's obvious, but um, <laughs> I think it's worth to say. Um, then, uh, for a given compressor, uh, the density of the gas at the suction is uh, is affecting uh, a lot the, the power input. The, the higher the density, uh, the higher will be the, the power consumption. Uh, it means that for a certain type of refrigerant, uh, you may not have the same power consumption with uh, with a given compressor. Uh, 
for example, with R1-C4A, which is a low-density refrigerant, you will have less power consumption than with uh, R14A with the same compressor. Um, and, and then uh, the, the density of the gas is not only related to the, the refrigerant, it's also related to the running condition. The higher will be the suction pressure, the higher will be the density, and then the higher will be uh, the power consumption. Okay, so Thierry, how about the discharge temperature? Uh, yes, of course, the discharge temperature is affecting a lot the power consumption. Uh, the higher you compress, the higher will be the, the power input. Um, if, in summary, uh, the power input depends on what you are compressing, the one that we just said before, the density of the gas, the type of gas, and how much you are compressing, means how high you are compressing this gas, so the discharge temperature. Okay, okay. Can you give us a percentage, maybe? Uh, what is the difference between R10A and R134A at the same running conditions? Can you give us a, a, a sort of a... Um, it could be something like uh, three times. Oh, right. Okay. That's a lot. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think so. I think the density, I don't have the figure just no. uh, in front of me, but yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a bit, I'd say. Is that why we are constructing compressors for specific uh, refrigerants? Oh, yeah, exactly. In fact, a compressor is um, it's a combination of uh, what you want to compress and, yeah, how much you, you want to, to compress. So for, if you take um, a compressor which is made to compress uh, low-density refrigerant, you will need a very high uh, swept volume with a pretty small motor. And then if you want to compress something with a high density, you will need a small swept volume with a pretty powerful motor. Okay, interesting, quite interesting. And, and how about the compressor technology? I mean, uh, we just had recently head-to-head uh, uh, -head with John and Jörg about uh, scrolls versus reciprocating. Could you please uh, give us a sort of a, an indication of that? Um, a scroll is made to to work in a in a specific condition, or is optimized. It can work in very various conditions, but is optimized around a certain condition, and. At that specific condition, it can be much more efficient than a reciprocating compressor. To give you a, an order of uh, magnitude, uh, it can be up to 10 to 15 more percent more efficient uh, than a recipe compressor. It means that for, for a given uh, power consumption, you, it will give uh, 10 to 15 more uh, amount of cooling. Right, yeah. Uh, John, I don't know, uh, do you have any comments to that? I mean, we've recently been through this or talked about it. Mm. 
it, it's it's a good topic, Jens, regarding uh, you know scroll compressors, whether versus piston machine, and and what you use for the various types of application. As as Thierry said, a scroll is made to be efficient at at one particular point. So that very much um, you know depends on the application that you want to working for example if you were doing something like a, a blast freeze application um, a scroll would not be the most efficient choice because of the varying evaporating temperatures and pressures that you're going to work along if you're pulling the product down from let's say plus 10 degrees to minus 20 degrees um, so therefore a piston machine would be the, the more logical choice in that application uh, okay, yeah. Uh, and now maybe uh, at least a, a question that interests me quite a bit. What about uh, variable speed compressors? I mean, if 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 uh, if a scroll is optimized to a specific working point, and you start varying the speed of it, how does that work, uh, Thierry? Ah, um, in fact. The compressor itself is not a variable speed compressor itself is not is not much more uh, performant or efficient than uh, a fixed uh, speed compressor in the same condition. The um, the main advantage of the variable speed is not that it's not on the compressor efficiency itself. The main advantage of the variable speed is to work at different conditions than a, than a fixed speed. A fixed speed compressor is running always at full speed, of course, and will always have a pretty high discharge temperature uh, and then a pretty high power consumption. In opposite, a variable speed compressor will run most of the time according to the load, so most of the time at quite low speed and then at low with a low discharge temperature and and then the, the power consumption is uh, is of course less if i can make um, a parallel uh, let's take an example with a with a car a fixed speed is like driving 200 kilometers doing 10 times 20 kilometers at 200 kilometers per hour with a stop in between. So start um, running, uh, running, uh, uh, driving 20 kilometers very fast, then stopping for half an hour, then again and again. In this condition, the car will consume a lot, maybe let's say 15 liters per 100 kilometer. A variable speed is driving 200 kilometer at 50 kilometers per hour without stop. And then, in that condition, the car is consuming much less. So that's the main advantage of the variable speed. Oh, I see. That's a good analogy, actually. It's, uh, well, <laughs> I was thinking electrical cars here, actually, where you have to charge and discharge and so on and so forth. But never mind that. That's a, <laughs> quite a sidestep. The size of motor is different depending on the low, medium, or high back pressure. Is that correct? Yes, exactly, exactly. 
it, it depends. It's again the, a matter of uh, what you, um, the relation between the swept volume and the and the motor size. The the higher will be um, the the density of the gas you want to compress. Uh, the the higher will be the, the the power needed to compress it. So um, that's um, how we we design a compressor. We design a compressor for a certain type of gas, and we put in relation the swept volume and the motor size. When 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 we have constructed etc etc, we want to sell it. The, the 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 compressor of course uh, and then we need to state the performance how how good it is to be able to compare that's one thing but also to well to brag a bit about how good we are to make compressors right <laughs> um, but the rating conditions and standards how does that work uh, and are there differences between what, say, a, a European would uh, talk about and an American, for instance? How does it work, Thierry? The pre yeah, the, um, these standards have been made to easily compare and select compressor between each other. Mm. Uh, as we just said before, a compressor do not... The, the power consumption and the cooling capacity of the compressor is varying along its running condition. And, and then uh, to compare one compressor to another, you need to, um, they need to work exactly at same condition. Mm -hmm. And that's the purpose of the standard. It has been made to compare the different uh, compressor, uh, one with the other, defining very precise conditions. And uh, in fact, those conditions, the principle is the same between uh, uh, US or, or European. It's just the standards that is different. In, U in Europe, you are more using EN, and US, we are using RI. But in it just uh, the, um, the difference is just on the figure itself. It's slightly different from uh, Ri to uh, uh, to European. If I take an example on HVAC side, the one I know in EN, we use uh, five fifty degrees C to compare com for uh, to compare compressor uh, five degrees C evaporating fifty condensing, and uh, in US it's uh, Ri and Ri is in degree C, of course, 7.2 and 54.4. So they are very close. Mm -hmm. uh, and it represents more or less uh, the full load uh, in on a cooling system HVAC. And we have the same for uh, for refrigeration. John, John can, can say on the refrigeration, I think one for EN is minus 10, 45 condensing. Uh, it's more a refrigeration uh, type of condition. Mm -hmm. And RI is maybe, well, I don't I don't remember by heart, but... It's minus 6.7 and 48.9 degrees C condensing. So you yeah. see, so, they are very close. Yeah. It just, uh, it just, 
around um, how we say around figure in yeah. Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the point. Yeah. And then the COP, P, COP will be uh, either in watts or in BTUs, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, that's pretty good. Uh, so, so in in really reality, we can qu- actually quite easily compare, say, the RI R- ARI um, standards with the EN standards. If I get it right. Yeah, there is equivalent. Uh, each EN has an ARI equivalent, more or less. More yeah. or less. Okay. Just some questions from me, Terry, really regarding the compressor efficiency. And many years ago, um, when I started out in the business, we always spoke about the lift of a compressor. So basically from the evaporating temperature to the condensing temperature. And that was the, the lift, the amount of work that that machine had to do. And that ties in quite well with what you were saying about the, the motor size and the sweat volume and obviously the refrigerant that that you're compressing. Um, And and that to me was a good graphical representation of how hard that machine is working because if you're evaporating, let's say minus 40, condensing at 40, you've got quite a high lift there of the the work that that compressor has got to do. Um, Conversely, if you're evaporating minus five, condensing 40, that compressor is doing a lot less work um obviously that that ties in with how hot that compressor gets how hot the windings get um you know things like the discharge temperature etc so if we're evaporating very low um let's say minus 40 condensing at 40 we would have a much uh hotter discharge i presume yeah. than we would if we were evaporating let's say minus five yeah clearly the the pressure ratio, um, the discharge temperature of the compressor is related to um, how much you compress, so the discharge temperature itself. Uh, and um, yeah, the, the pressure ratio, uh, so from where you start basically, and also of the refrigerant itself, because it's uh, really some refrigerant as um, much higher discharge temperature than uh, than other, we we experience this now with um, with R32, for example, which is very common now for HVAC. Uh, this is one of the challenge of this refrigerant. It has for the same uh, running condition, it has much higher discharge temperature than uh, R14A, which is former refrigerant used on that kind of application. Mm. So pressure ratio and uh, refrigerant itself is affecting the, the discharge temperature. So if we talk about discharge temperature, what would be the uh, maximum discharge temperature on a, let's say, scroll compressor before we start and carbonize the oil? What is that sort of magical figure? Ah. There is two things in what in what you say. Uh, we stop before carbonizing the oil, <laughs> and we should stop much before. Um, what we usually recommend is to go to be less than 130, 135. 
this is our um, usual uh, recommendation. It depends on platform. Uh, on some new compressor for R32, for example, we extended uh, this up to 150. Uh, but uh, that's very high. Uh, and then the oil carbonization is uh, is much after is around maybe around 200 degree or something like this or even more. Uh, but of course we need to take some margin because you when you measure the discharge temperature you you have some delay in the measurement and you can inside this you also need to take in account that. Uh, the discharge temperature you have inside uh, is not necessarily what you measure outside. You can have a, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of difference. The measurement error can be pretty big in such kind of uh, measurement. As to hazard a guess theory, is it, is it twenty Kelvin difference between what you would expect on the scroll nose? Um, you know the the actual exit of a scroll um, to the let's say pipe temperature that you would measure. Um, is there <laughs> some calculation to say it, it's plus twenty or plus ten or? Um, yeah, with the pipe we can say easily ten because the pipe is um, what you measure on the discharge pipe is you measure the discharge pipe. But it's not the the discharge temperature of the gas inside. Uh, it's like taking a temperature of your radiator. Uh, on your radiator, you measure the temperature of the radiator is not the temperature of the water inside. You. So what you measure is a mix between the water temperature inside and uh, the temperature of the outside of the. And here it's the same. What you, and it's, what is. Um, very um, on the discharge temperature is very high, 130, for example. And then uh, compared to the ambient temperature, which is 20, there is a huge difference. So all the copper piping is uh, at the ambient of 20 degrees and is cooled down by this ambient and then is heated up by the discharge temperature inside. So you have you can have a pretty big difference. And 20, yeah, 10 degrees, very usual. Um, and and you, it's much more accurate if you measure it inside the pipe with a sump well, for example, temperature. You put a sensor in a well, and then you will have a much more accurate uh, temperature, much more close to what the actual discharge temperature gas. Okay, that's that's very interesting. Um, one, one other question that, that springs to mind, Thierry, and, and this is about the superheat gas, that the, the suction gas that comes back to the compressor. Um, obviously, if we have high suction superheat, then that will increase our discharge temperature, uh, let's say, quite dramatically. Um, again, is there any relationship between suction superheat and the effect that that has on the discharge temperature in a sort of percentage terms. Uh, up to the um, arrival of the R32 <laughs> with the other gas, uh, we used to say that uh, one Kelvin of suction separate is one Kelvin of discharge temperature, more or less. So you increase by 20 degrees uh, 
the suction temperature, you increase by 20 degrees as uh, the discharge temperature. Uh, it's not really true anymore with R32, it's a bit more. So with R32, uh, as due to the gas characteristic, it's now uh, a bit more. And uh, let's say 20 degree can represent uh, 25, 20, yeah, a bit okay. more, even a bit more. Okay, that's uh, again interesting, and that that really comes down to the commissioning of of the compressor and making sure that um, you know everything is as it should be to maintain the the life of the compressor. Yeah, it's um, a typical example of this effect is the lack of uh, refrigerant on the system. When you have a lack of refrigerant on the system. The first uh, consequence is uh, you are you don't have liquid anymore on the on the condenser. You you are losing your subcooling, and if you are losing your subcooling, you can't uh, maintain a proper separate. Your separate is increasing, and separate increase lead to high discharge temperature. So one of the consequence, yeah, this is the direct uh, uh, consequence or. Uh, of the um, lack of refrigerant and effect on separate and then effect on the discharge temperature. Mm, mm, mm. So coming back to the efficiency of a compressor itself, um, if, if you go away from, let's say, the, the, the standard rating conditions that has an efficiency of X, um, if you then ran a system short of refrigerant, you know, high suction superheat coming back to the machine, your efficiency obviously uh, goes down and uh, you cost more money to, to run that machine and ultimately risk, you know, breaking that machine. Again, is there any uh, percentage terms to say if you're not running it as it should be run, um, let's say that the superheat is is 10% above what you, we recommend. From an efficiency point of view, is there any correlation to that? In fact, it's not like this really. It um, it has a big effect. Yeah, no, it has a big effect to be honest. Because uh, when you change the suction separate, in fact. Uh, it's not like you are changing the suction temperature of the compressor. It's uh, the suction temperature of the compressor will remain the same. This is the evaporating temperature that will uh, decrease or the suction pressure will decrease. And then you increase the lift basically. You, you got the point? Mm -hmm. Yes. So yeah. instead of running at... Uh, so, um, instead of running at 5 degrees, uh, for example, evaporation, uh, you will run at um, 5 degrees less uh, in evaporation if you increase the separate by 10K, by 5K. Mm -hmm. So, and then it's a big difference because if I make the same calculation, if I do 0, uh, zero 10 and this is 0, uh, 50, uh, then we we move from uh, 3.1 to 2.5. So you see, it's a big difference. Mm, mm. Okay. So the major effects of the 
uh, increasing the suction separate is to decrease the evaporating temperature. Sure. And then it has a big effect on performance. Yeah, because we are lifting more between evaporating and condensing. Yes. So exactly. the compressor is consuming more power to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. If you think of a, a variable speed machine between its minimum speed and its maximum speed, so I don't know, let's take 100% as maximum and minimum speed as 30% of maximum. Um, and maintaining the same evaporating temperature because that's the idea of a variable speed machine. We are decreasing the speed X amount, but what's the what's the reduction in absorbed power? Uh, it's related to to the condensing temperature. So uh, it's related to uh, yeah to to the condensing temperature you are you are running. So um, so if you maintain your condensing temperature and maintain your evaporating temperature, but slow you the, the speed same. of, but then if you slow the speed of the machine down you're not absorbing as much power to drive that motor because you're doing ah. it slower. Okay, then it's proportional. Almost. It's proportional. Okay. Almost proportional, yes. Yeah, that's um, yes, quite similar. Uh, thank you so much, both of you, Thierry Legay, for your time. And John Broughton, thank you for your assistance in asking nasty questions. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I hope to see you again uh, another time with maybe a slightly different uh, subject. But uh, thank you so much for now. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jens. Thanks, Terry. Thank you for listening in on this podcast. And again, please let us know what you think about our podcast. And please remember to send us ideas and suggestions on chilling with Jens, in one word, at danfoss.com. And... As usual, remember to stay cool.